Okay, if you have a Bible, would you like to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1? I feel like I'm slightly letting the side down without a Christmas jumper on. I will, uh, I'll try and improve next time round. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke, chapter 1, uh, together. Gonna, I'm looking up at the clock, but the clock has gone strange on us, so I've got my mobile phone out as well. So I can tell the time, don't worry. I have just been asked, Daddy, preach a short one. <laughs> Naming no names, that narrows it down to three, I guess, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's see what we can do. So, Luke chapter one. Sorry, I don't normally do. Pick on my kids. Um, <laughs> Luke chapter one. <clears throat> Luke chapter one, verse 26. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, you can look at the screen and, uh, and follow the passage there which I'll read now from the, uh, the NIV. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So in this season of uh, building up to Christmas, we are looking at the events um, in the Bible that led up to Christmas. Last week, Richard led us through the, the genealogy at the beginning of, of Matthew's Gospel. We saw this, this big picture, God's work throughout multiple generations of history, uh, at least 42 generations, all the way from, from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, all the way through to, to Obed and Jesse and David and Solomon and on again, there's a rubber ball and then eventually get to Joseph and then Mary, the whole sweep of history, all the way through uh, the Bible. You could cut into the story at any point through, through Genesis onwards and see God's work through his people in all of history to prepare for this moment the birth of his son. A God who's in control of all things, a God of wonderful grace, a God who'd have to bear with sinful humanity if he was going to save them, uh, was at work all the way through. That massive picture, now as we look at this passage in Luke, it's kind of zooming, we're now zooming right in. Yes, the big picture is still there, but we're zooming into one 
person and her part to play. This visit that the angel Gabriel pays to, to Mary, this is God's preparation for the most profound moment in, in history as the Son of God comes into the world. Uh, so we're going to focus on what, through the angel, what God was saying to her. And we'll see that God makes amazing promises to this one individual. We'll see what that also means for us. Amazing promises about God's favor, about God's presence, about God's mission, and God's empowering, God's Holy Spirit as well. God, you see the angel does most of the talking. God communicating to her, sending this message. But what we will see about Mary is her response. How does she respond to the word of God? She is an impressive, faith-filled example of somebody responding to God's words. We could go back earlier in the chapter and we could look at Zechariah, a priest in the temple, special guy, having a visit from the same angel, his response to the word of God coming isn't so impressive. Now here in Mary, we see someone whose response to the word of God is amazing. It's humbling and it's what we can, we can learn from. So what did God say? What did God promise? And how did she, how did she respond? How did she react? Well, God speaks of his favor, first of all, to Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored. It will go on to say, you have found favor with God. Greetings, it could almost literally be grace, you who are highly graced. God's grace, Mary, is all over you. You might not realize it, but God's kindness, God's loving kindness, his wonderful grace, which you can't earn, it's not deserved, is all over your life. This is an example of God's choice, which is all by grace. Now sometimes different Christian traditions have come and have introduced confusion. Those words might be the reason that some pray to Mary, hail Mary, full of grace. No, it's a, it's a misunderstanding. We're not to approach Mary as though we can get grace from her. We're to approach God and say, look, this is the God who gave amazing grace to Mary. She was on the receiving end. She is an amazing example of grace. She's not the source of grace for us. That's the Lord Jesus. But she shows what God is like, just so lavish and good. We could, uh, we could turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, reading from verse 5, we could remind ourselves, in love... He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Free, abundant, wonderful, undeserved grace. There you go, Mary. There are other examples in the Bible of the same thing. You could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6 when the world is looking pretty bleak. And it says that Noah found God's favor. Or perhaps it could be understood by just moving the words around a little bit. God's favor 
God's grace found Noah. We might read on and think, well, God chose him because he was righteous. And maybe in, in, in his day, he was more righteous than the rest. But God chose him by his grace. We might read about Mary and think, well, she was special and she was pure. She had kept herself pure. She was a godly girl. But still, it's, it's totally by God's grace. God, God chose her. We'll see the, the wonder of that, that choice in a minute. This is sometimes what we need to be reminded of um, as a church. God didn't choose us. God doesn't choose people. God didn't choose us on account of us being special. We're special because God chose us. It's totally the other way around. God's favor found us. That's what blows us away. That's what was coming through, partly in, in, in what Linda was sharing with us this morning, both the tongue and what she shared, just the amazing wonder of God's love. She stepped over the line. She received God's love. She knew it was undeserved, but she knew it was freely given. Now, the church of God needs to be reminded of this so many times. See it all over Scripture. And in just another place, we could turn to 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 26, Paul's words to a church which was starting to think too highly of themselves in, in some ways. And he kind of wants them, well, to bring them back to earth or bring them back to glory? I'm not sure, but uh, you, could, you could think of Mary as I read these words. Or think of yourself. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And if you read on in Luke chapter 1, what do you see Mary doing? But, but boasting in who God is and what God is like. And the wonder of God's choosing her. She's not boasting in herself. You think, well, was, was Mary wise? We don't know, really. But she wasn't very old. She's quite young. She's not going to have much wisdom of experience yet. Was she influential? No, not especially. Was she noble? Well, she might have had David's blood in her as well. She might have been in the same line as Joseph. But she's not living in a palace. Spoiler alert, I'm sorry. I don't mean to debunk all the traditional ways of, of viewing Christmas. This is speculative. I don't think Mary had any blue clothes <laughs> at all. Contrary to the glorious uh, illustrations and paintings that have sometimes been uh, portrayed, why, why was blue chosen? Because it's such a rare dye that only royalty would be able to afford it. So maybe now she's wearing blue or white in glory. But, but she's not wealthy. In the eyes of the world, she's not special. God chooses, we're told, the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised. When she accepts God's word to her in this passage, she knows she's saying yes to being despised by some people, misunderstanding how she became pregnant. 
despise, things that are not. That's so often who God chooses. God chooses Mary. She's young, she's poor, she's untrained, she's inexperienced like every first-time parent. But I don't, it's like the wonder of holding someone brand new, thinking, where, I've not got a certificate for this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trained. I haven't, I, I, what? Ah, wonderful, but help. Glorious, but she doesn't have any experience. She's living life on the edge. She's from a small town in the north, far away from Jerusalem, far away from the temple. Just reference how God turned, uh, the angel turned up and spoke to Zechariah in the temple. This is, this is nowhere. This is Nazareth. This is miles away. This isn't in the center of the action. But God's favor was on her. Don't forget that for yourself. I'm no one, I'm nothing. No, you've got to stop that way of thinking. You've also got to stop it for other people. We can start thinking, well, they can't see them really amounting to very much. They haven't quite got the skills. They don't quite have the charismatic personality. Maybe they can set out the chairs, but I'm not sure how God's really going to use them. I know none of us think that, really. I'm just making it stark. God's... In God's grace and favor is to pick the lowly and say, I've got plans for you. I'm going to do something great in your life. That's how God works. He works with grace. It's undeserved. Well, it does say in the scripture that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So we can find ourselves opposing God by holding on to any pride. I do have training, I do have skills. I am a bit special. I am a bit noble. I do have blue jumpers. Um, We've got to make sure we don't get caught up into that way of thinking either to see God's grace. I'm looking like at the clock again, like that's going to help me today. Right, moving on. What, what else does God say to Mary? His wonderful promises are about his favor. Look, you found favor with God. God's grace is on you. God's chosen you, this wonderful, free gift of his love and compassion. We also see God promising something about his presence. It says in verse 28, the Lord is with you. Right now, Mary, God is with you. This is a, this is a present reality for you, Mary. This is another wonderful promise. It's dangerous to say it's the best because we'll come across other promises as well that are the best. Just Overwhelming, what an amazing starting point. God's grace is on you and God's presence is with you. The Lord is with you. An amazing promise. You see, again, it's not unique to her. You can go through scripture and see, who does God say that to? And when does he say the Lord is with you? It is true. But there are times, especially when perhaps... As followers of God, we need to be reminded. Isaac needed to be reminded. He was living in famine. He'd been told, don't go down to Egypt, stay put. The Lord is with you. you know, if you're tempted to worry, if you're tempted to think, how's life going to make sense right now? How are we going to make ends meet? The Lord says, don't worry. What? Don't worry? 
The Lord's with you. Right. Speaks to Jacob. Jacob's on the run. He's running away from a brother that might attempt to kill him. He's running away. He's, he's leaving the promised land for a while behind. He's going north and he's completely by himself. What does God say to Jacob? Jacob, the Lord is with you. What does God say to Joshua? Coming in now to the promised land, but Moses has died. There are any number of new battles and new opportunities and new land to head into. It's exciting, but it's a bit scary as well. What does the Lord say to Joshua? Joshua, the Lord is with you. You So sometimes we might need to be reminded there's new opportunities, there are new doors opening, there are things we've never done before. We've never, this is uncharted territory. We're into something new now. This is out of my previous experience and comfort zone. We're going into the land. We get a bit nervous. What does the Lord say? The Lord says to Joshua, I'm with you. What does the Lord say to Jeremiah? Jeremiah, I've got a call on your life. I'm calling you to speak up the words of God. And it's not always going to be easy. Some people are going to uh, reject you. Some people will reject my word. What does the Lord say to Jeremiah? The Lord says, I'm with you. I'm with you, Jeremiah. What does the Lord say to Israel when they've come back from exile and it's time to build the Lord's house? It's time to rebuild the temple. How are we going to do that? This massive task, how are we possibly going to do that? What does the Lord say? The Lord says, I'm with you. What does the, what does, what does the Lord say? What does the risen Lord say to his disciples before he ascends to heaven? They have stood before this awesome task. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. All nations, everything. Us? Huh? What does the Lord say? And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And maybe this right now is a time for us, not just individually, but corporately, to know that the Lord's with us. Why? Well, because it's also a time of uncertainty. Not famine exactly, but another general election coming. What? I mean, have you decided who to vote for if you can? Maybe some of you have, maybe some of you haven't. It's like Thursday. What's going to happen after that? We don't know what is happening to this nation. It sometimes scares us. Maybe we can sometimes feel like, as God's people, the people who might be on the run, being misunderstood. There may be more persecution one way or another that's that's going to come in the direction of anyone who speaks up in the name of Jesus. But nevertheless, maybe this is also a time of new opportunity, new doors being opened, a time of rebuilding, where we might feel intimidated by the size of the task. Evangelizing the nations, evangelizing this nation. How on earth are we going to do that? The Lord is with you. Look, when it comes, well, before it comes to Thursday and coming to vote, just having a chat with some friends last night, we were talking, maybe more than ever before, it's really important to pray, vote, and pray. Pray. 
a lot. That middle bit, vote according to your conscience, vote according to what you know, vote according to your faith. Don't jump on other people if you find out they voted a different way. There'll be loads of believers in this nation voting for different people from different parties. The most important bit, in a way, either side, is to pray and to bring, the whole, bring your choice, bring your cross, bring your decision before God and then say, even if you're still a bit uncertain but you're choosing something, say, God, I'm just committing this to you. I'm committing this nation to you. I can give thanks for being in a democracy and I'm still going to have to entrust it to you, oh God. I'm going to trust the result to you. I'm saying, God, please move in power. Why? Because we just want a comfortable, easy life? No, because we want God to bring about more salvation for more people. That's the right of the heart of it. But let's trust God is with his people. It's not just threats and trouble and problem, it's opportunity, rebuilding and speaking up for Jesus. Now we can see Mary's reaction to those initial words is being greatly troubled. She, she ponders what sort of greeting is this. Have you ever had, maybe it's like receiving like a cold call. Your, your, Mary's reaction might be a little bit like my reaction to a cold call at home. Someone's, someone's chosen to phone me up. Hello, is that, is that Mr. Matten? No, it's Mr. Mayton. <laughs> this hasn't happened, but go. Uh, you've won first prize. Really? Really? Are you sure you got the right person? You know, we can initially be in like, what? Maybe Mary heard the words. God's favor is on you, Mary. And then she's thinking, okay. What's going to happen next then? Yeah, I don't know if you've spotted that sometimes when, when people receive like a lot of prophetic encouragements. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. Think, There's a reason why you're hearing that. <laughs> Chances are that means that you're going to need to look back and say, no, come on, remember. I know it's funny, but it's also quite serious. And it's, it, but it's a reason not for shying away from prophecy. It's a reason for... Getting around one another. It's like, what's God saying to your life at the moment? Yeah, we need to hold on to things that God has said to us in his word and over our lives. Because we don't know what's coming next. How could Mary possibly know all that would be happening? And maybe she was wondering, have you got the right person? It's amazing. When, when, when God brings something particular to to someone, that can often be the reaction in God's word. You see people saying, really, me? Are you sure it's not someone else? But note this, it's interesting. What she doesn't do is speak at that point. She just keeps listening. And sometimes if we're troubled or confused, keep listening. Keep listening to God's word. Keep, keep adopting that, that position of, of readiness to receive. Even as we were hearing early on, help me to receive, help me to understand more about your love. Keep listening. Linda kept listening. Maybe others were uh, kind of uh, trying their best. Let's look at this, let's look at that. Fact is, 
the Lord spoke through his word and by his spirit. Linda doesn't need persuading now. Sorry to pick on you, Linda. just thought it was very helpful. Doesn't need persuading now. I know God loves me. What else do we see? Still looking at the clock and it's not working. Uh, God's mission. God speaks about his mission. The mission that he has for Mary. Now we know this is quite a special and indeed it's not an exaggeration to say unique mission. Note the way that the angel kind of delivers the point. Kind of quite gradually in a way. You will be with child and give birth. Marvellous. Well, she is betrothed to Joseph. She is planning and preparing for marriage. She would expect to have a child with Joseph. You'll have a son. Oh, right. Well, that's, that's interesting because... Uh, she may have had a daughter to start with. She'll have a son. Um, and you are to give him the name Jesus. What does the word, what does the name Jesus mean? The Lord saves. The Lord is salvation. Maybe now she's starting to, to cotton on. But in a way, it was a regular name. It wasn't an unusual name. It's like someone today naming their child Joshua. It's not unheard of, is it? Um, he will be great. What? He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This is the point where I think she may have gone, are you kidding me? I mean, Joseph is a good guy and everything, but nobody calls him the Most High. He will be the son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll be great. He'll be the son of the Most High. He's going to be king. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. I think at that point, she has a very legitimate reason to ask a question. Questions don't mean she's riddled with unbelief. It's interesting because she asks a very similar question to Zechariah. When Zechariah meets Gabriel, he says, how, how could this possibly happen? And it's, in him, it's unbelief. He doesn't believe that God could help him and his wife Elizabeth conceive in their old age. And so he's rendered silent. But Mary's not asking that question. She's saying, how, how will this happen? It's not doubt. It's not unbelief. It's just Give me a bit more information, please. How is this possibly going uh, to happen? But to, uh, just to come back and to consider, she has this amazing mission. She is going to carry the saviour of the world. And she's going to bring him into the world. As we sing, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. She was contemplating the deepest mystery that thousands of years of church history, we still can't say, oh yeah, bingo, understood that perfectly. You know, God becoming flesh. Fully God. The divine son of the most high Being Mary's boy, 
and born in Bethlehem. God himself taking on our humanity. It's, it is a marvel. It is a wonder. It, it led her to all that praise that kind of erupts later on in the chapter. And it is unique and it is absolutely special to her, what God chose her for. Yet it does represent something of what our calling is to. When it says in uh, Colossians, and we'll just turn there uh, briefly, Colossians uh, chapter 1. And verse 26, just reading from that verse. Uh, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, to God's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This, this mystery, this is the mystery that people will experience when they, when they spend time with the church, when they see God. They kind of start to see God in you. See, actually, you're, you're carrying something. You're ordinary. I can touch you and prod you and poke you. I know your name. I know where you're from. I know what your job you do. I know where you live. Sounds like a threat, doesn't it? I know where you live. Um, I know who you are, but, but there's something else about you. There's something that's mysterious about you, something I can't put my finger on, and we know that is that Christ is in you. You're carrying Christ in the world, not in the same way as Mary, but whilst her calling is unique, we can say exactly the same as every person here in Christ. He's got you where he wants you, and Christ is in you. Mary had a massive call. Well, so do we. Go and make disciples of all nations. Called according to purpose. Called not just to make up the numbers, but called with specific Plans in mind. Things that he's prepared for you. You're God's workmanship. Prepared in advance. God's prepared good works in advance for you. For us together. And to marvel at that. Now there might be legitimate questions. How, this, how will this be? She said. How will this be? I think the, the call is massive and it's awesome and it's mysterious and it's wonderful and you're seriously talking to me about that? How? And this is one of Luke's specific emphases, what he particularly wants to draw out in his gospel account is the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. So God, we're going to just look at this, this fourth amazing promise. Having looked at God's favor, God's presence, God's mission, now God's empowering. The angel answered in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power, it's just wonderful how it's put, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I actually just love the way that the Lord arranged this. 
even in this very first speech, saying to Mary, look, here's massive news, here's a massive call, it will become apparent to the world, you might be thinking how on earth is Joseph going to react, here's someone you can go and talk to about it, go and have a chat with Elizabeth, <laughs> to almost say, in the context of friendship and relationship and, and family, look at what God's doing. She knew that she had support, in other words, for those very first few months. She could just be herself and she could talk about what was going on. But maybe back to the point, that nothing is impossible with God. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And again, so many times God's servants say, how could I possibly do that, Lord? You're calling me way out of my comfort zone. The Lord does that, I think, for a reason. And maybe some of you are frustrated at what God has or hasn't called you to. I've got this sense of gifting and desire, but maybe God's waiting to call you to something that you don't feel able to do. Because it's when we are called to do stuff that we don't feel able to do, we're going to call on God for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. Time and time again, through these early chapters of Luke, so-and-so was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon somebody else. And you get right the way to the end of the book, and what does Jesus say to his disciples before he goes at the end of Luke? He says, wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. To Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. He'll come upon you. To, all, to the disciples about to watch Jesus ascend into heaven, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. It will still be ordinary you, but it will be extraordinary God clothing you, enabling you, strengthening you. According to, uh, to one commentator, Luke does not think of God as leaving people to serve him as best they can out of their own resources. That's putting the spotlight on the Holy Spirit. How daft to think that Mary can make it happen. This is about what the Holy Spirit will do. Nothing is impossible with God. And that's the same for us. Maybe that is something that we need to be reminded of as well. Whatever we're called to, whatever God has, is having us do to serve him at the moment, whatever we might be praying for the nation about, whatever twists and turns might take place on this island, we need to remember nothing is impossible with God. We believe in a God for whom nothing is impossible. That the church can look, and to all intents and purposes be, a very ordinary bunch of people, living very ordinary lives, but empowered and, and clothed and filled with an extraordinary God who wants to make his home in us. Nothing's impossible for him. So, well, we might ask the question, but let's ask the question in readiness to receive the answer, in readiness to believe. Now, we've seen some of Mary's reactions. Early on, she's greatly troubled, held a silence and kept listening. Later on, she's massively intrigued and blown away, and she asks a good question. Now, in response, 
what is her kind of third reaction to all that God has said to her? It's this, it's total trust. Total trust in God. I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. There is something so beautifully humble and faith-filled about her response to the word of God to her. Say, I believe the Lord. She knows that in saying yes to God, she is saying yes to many people misunderstanding her. She is saying yes to scandal and the possibility of being stoned. She is saying yes to the possibility that Joseph may attempt to divorce her quietly as indeed was his initial reaction. She doesn't know that she is saying yes to watching her own son die. There's so much that she doesn't know, but she's prepared to say yes. She meets uncertainty and she says, I trust you, God. She's going to be on the run. She says, I trust you, God. They're going to flee to Egypt. I trust you, God. She's saying yes to God in the midst of all the things that she does not know. That's faith. Faith is not having all the answers up front. Faith is a certainty of what we hope for and long for but don't yet see. Faith is not having some neat little gift-wrapped calling. Faith is saying yes to potential mess. Faith is saying yes to a God who is bigger than the universe. Lord, you don't have to tell me everything, Lord. You don't have to map out my life with every detail in advance. You don't have to tell me everything that's involved, but I'm going to say yes. That's what we're all called to. And that's the calling of faith. That's what it means to come to God in the first place. You're coming to him. You're stepping over that line and you're giving your whole life to God. You're giving over your whole life to Jesus. You're saying, Lord, I trust you. Make of my life what you will. That's faith that we're called to. What, What a wonderful God who can work at the biggest level who can create a universe and oversee history and knows everything about him, do you tr- knows everything about you. But do, do you trust him? Do you trust that he knows you completely? Do you trust that he's got a plan and a purpose that knits you in to his massive story forever? Do you trust that you have a part to play? Do you trust that God's word is true for you and not just your friend? Do you trust him when you're facing uncertainty? Do you trust him when you don't know what, if you'll have a job next year? Do you trust him? Whoever becomes our prime minister, will you trust God? Will you pray for that person? Will you pray for the nation? Will you believe that God works out all things for good, come what may? Will you believe that... You know, 
if our economy, I'm not trying to be too doomsday about it, but do you believe that if our economy suffers, if we're a kind of bit of a global laughing stock, that various deals don't quite work out that well, do you still believe God for that time? We can think, oh, you know, there was so much going on in Mary's day. She trusted God. She glorified him. And she said yes.